Hello everyone, this is Scott Poley with Mike Mitchell. Um, welcome to a new edition of the Out of the Woods podcast lineup, the top five threat hunting headlines. So this weekly segment features just the top five stories that threat hunters need to be thinking about, as well as our thoughts on the subject and some hunting strategies. So with that, we'll dive right into the top five threat hunting headlines for this week of September 26th of 2022. So the first headline, Mike, that I was gonna touch on Mm-hmm. is from infosecuritymagazine.com and it, they refer to NSA reveals hackers playbook. So I don't know if you checked that one out yet, um, but yeah, the two it. things, the two things I really thought were interesting was one, they actually gave you the, the, the link to the actual NSA um, publication, right. which was, I thought of more detail read um, because it seems like in the article, they covered some of the top mitigations that were mentioned. But mm-hmm. some of the more insightful things was the adversary tactics they covered on. So um, I'll jump on those real quick. And if you have anything you want to add to some things I say, feel free to sure. cut me off. Yeah, I'll give you the color commentary. <laughs> All right, perfect. So the first thing um, that I thought was really interesting, and that is um, the first three points of the adversary tactics. So they, were, they gave five points. Um, the first one was establish intended effect on the end, select a target. Mm-hmm. Uh, two was collect intelligence about the target system. Three was develop techniques and tools to navigate and manipulate the system. Four, gaining initial access. And then five was the execution of techniques and tools to create that intended effect. And to me, what was interesting was the first three were really around collecting information and developing the attack itself. So this would be centered around reconnaissance, right? Yeah. So it seems like they put a big emphasis on how do you control any information around those environments that you protect so well, even Mm -hmm. to the point of like where you keep your information, um, any information about it, you know, you know, public forums, conversations, documentations you may host on your websites, pictures, any of that kind of stuff. Um, It sounds like that's really the most effective way to really start to deal with some of their initial tactics and then the other thing is when when they mention intended effect when you think of these types of systems i feel like the intended effect they were trying to highlight didn't have to do with the systems themselves more the long-term strategy is if i impact this function at you know this target set how does it affect my actual intended target like you know when you think of power water you know, supplying to a certain, you know, destination, um, that de- destination is likely the intended target. Um, and there's probably a uh, an umbrella established intended effect against ICS and OT systems, right? Um, right. I think, I think any type of target within that purview would probably, you know, cause an effect that has uh, consistency across the board, right? So, it, it, it is interesting that they focus so much on reconnaissance. I would be, and I don't know much about the ICS OT uh, build out phase, right? So you, let's call it Dominion Power. Um, they have a lot of infrastructure where I live. I don't know how they go about doing requests for quotes or proposals or how they build their infrastructure. I'm guessing it's it's really focused on third-party risk, right? So you have these other firms that are building these infrastructures for places like Dominion. Um, 
that seems to probably be where I would target to collect a lot of that intelligence, right? Yeah, and I know, you know, from, you know, past looking at some stuff, it's got to be hard for any kind of business vertical that has to work closely with local or federal or whatever government, because that means a lot of documentation for different kind of plans and builds and things have mm -hmm. to be kind of public, right? Yeah, absolutely. To be scrutinized. So it's, there's some information you just can't really control that well. But I know, like, I remember there was a, a guy I talked to that, you know, he, they specialize in how they could do certain attacks and the place that he needed to attack was really, really well locked down, but he knew they had some really bad flooding with some of the um, storms and stuff coming up in the storm mm -hmm. season. Mm -hmm. And their technique to affect those systems was really just, they knew there's a webcam set up and a pump and they would be able to watch the water level and then engage this pump remotely. So their intended effect to affect what they needed to, to take down was really just disable that pump so that it actually, right. they think it's pumping and it's not actually pumping water and it's kind of completely off network but yeah, it can have that kinetic effect yeah absolutely and, and you, you think about those systems outside of the larger ots ics framework i mean those are components to the larger build and infrastructure right so that, that's a novel way to go attack those separate components rather than dealing with i don't want to have to go hack dominion Right. right. Um, that seems like a larger task than to go manipulate other systems um, to get that initial access. Yeah. And, the, and then the last point, you know, the things they did cover in the actual article that led to the document that, that was published was they mentioned the mitigations and all the mitigations were your standard hygiene, like limit exposure, know your remote <laughs> access points, right. limit access, um, do regular audits. And they did do a, some focus on third party stuff specifically. Mm -hmm. But the last one I thought was really interesting. And that was trying to implement a dynamic network environment. And why I thought that was interesting, because I thought it married their first three bullet points with adversary types or that collecting information. Sure. Because OT environments, I know, typically are pretty static. And some of the attacks I've seen, you know, there's already like pre-coded, pre-scripted stuff to take right. because either access is so limited that, you know, you might be able to execute something, but you can't be like hands-on and drive it. So you kind of have to know that environment well enough to be able to mm -hmm. build that technique. And so that dynamic network, if you change just a few things, you might prevent that attack. And, and you know, in some of the um, OTICS stuff, there's safety systems too. So you have to do multiple things in a short period of time to prevent, you know, any of controls to stop your attack as well. So that, that yeah, kind of a, disruption. Yeah, I had a, there was a previous job I worked at, um, services went in there was a windows 7 box connected to the larger control system of a particular ot ics kind of environment right and they were going on facebook and browsing the internet and it's those type of um you know mitigation setting up certain enclaves setting up that dynamic network like you're talking about that allows for a little bit more complexity um so it's not just kind of you know, all right, I have access to the, the, the network and the control system, now I have access to everything, right? It's just those typical mitigations that I feel like security knows about, but it might just be a little bit harder to implement. And and typically with these these type of businesses, there's a little bit of an old guard in place, right? There's a, a, a way of previously doing things. I think change comes with a little bit of um, pushback sometimes. So 
you know, it's important to affect and to put out these articles, but I think the bigger point is to actually, you know, have some oversight to make sure that these organizations are doing this because all of these structures should be kind of in the pure view of uh, protected infrastructure, in my opinion, in yeah. the United States, right? So. Yeah, just um, and that's going to be a tough thing to, you know, a lot of people aren't thinking about like what what can we affect dynamically or what can we update or change a little bit, you know, from mm -hmm. time to time because that's just not. I mean, in the IT world, change is inevitable and it's always happening. So it's kind of like you do it just by the nature of doing IT, but in the OT world, it's not that way. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So I want to hit the next article. Yeah, go for awesome. it. Uh, so the Hacker News put out an article called Firing Your Entire Cybersecurity Team. So this one was uh, definitely, uh, you know, clickbait for me. <laughs> um, but they, they dive into some some pretty interesting details around what Patreon just recently did. Um, and that was to the article's headline, um, Fire the Entire Security Team. So right. there's a couple reasons why you would do this. Um, and the article alludes to the fact that, you know, I think, it looks like Patreon went outsourced. So they probably hired some managed service provider to do a lot of this work to cut costs. Um, there's a lot of organizations now that are, you know, you know, they're, they're getting into firing. They're trying to cut costs. They're trying to get to EBITDA. They're trying to, um, you know, make sure they have consistent cash flows coming into the next couple of quarters with the looming recession. But this is, in my opinion, problematic, and and the same thing that the the article talked through. So, Scott, you're uh, you got any opinion on this one? Yeah, so I, I agree that I I do think this strategy is kind of a problematic one for sure. So you know, first you know, I like to kind of really highlight like what do you lose when you get rid of your whole security team? Um, and one of the things just already top of mind is like it's it's one thing to have security staff that's well trained. It's another thing to have staff that actually has real-world incident response experience, and especially in the environment they need to protect. Um, and that's not a thing you can't necessarily hire. It's something that just happens. And that experience is so valuable because with that experience, you've got all this gained knowledge for where your environment was weakest, you know, what processes need to change, um, just how the environment works in general, because I feel like most of the time I learn things about the environment I'm in, it's it's almost in an incident because I'm like, oh, I didn't know we did things that way. Mm -hmm. Now you do, you know. Um, and then you also have the personal buy-in. Like, I know as a security yeah, professional, I, I take it personally if we get breached or an attack happens, right? Even though it might not be my soul, like it happened because of me. But now, like, I know it's kind of a black mark and I want to figure out how I can make things better, make up right. for that. You know, um, and so I'm like really vested and you get rid of those people that now are overly vested because they kind of have to prove themselves. Yeah, I've um, seen, I, I, that's an amazing point. I've seen how MSPs typically operate and it's like, look, the, the people problem is real in cybersecurity. Um, you have these MSPs who claim they're monitoring hundreds of clients, shoot, even tens of 20 of clients is a, is a hard problem to solve those analysts don't have the time to spend the time and effort and care in those environments to actually, to your point, own and, um, you know, feel, feel some responsibility to the security of that company. It's just another company that they're watching. Right. And so, right. uh, 
I think MSPs are great. I think they provide tremendous value, but when you're wholly just, you know, firing your whole internal security team to just offset from a cost perspective, I think you're doing yourself a disservice. Um, and the other thing that we're, I'm really interested about that this, this article doesn't really dive into is the cybersecurity insurance. And I think that's a big piece of the story is, is Patreon, you know, paying some, some sort of, you know, I mean, everybody has cybersecurity insurance, but did they up their insurance to help to mitigate a potential risk factor or the offset, right? So I I would be watching Patreon in the next couple of months to see, was there a, was there an event that caused them to go this route to wholly push off their internal risk to a third party? Um, You know, it'd be interesting to follow the story as it grows, right? Um, One of the things that, I, th- I think is also interesting is, you know, security staff has like their core responsibilities. And a lot of times it's kind of like dealing with and predicting what adversaries might do, right? Mm-hmm. There's some like controls and things they may manage and things they respond to, but security as a whole is like an organization's responsibility, right? I mean, there's people that manage to configure things. There's people that have their response, like behaviors and processes and things that they need to do is just being an employee of that company. So it's kind of ignorant on leadership to get rid of the security staff as of a cause of a breach because it's not solely their responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, most most breaches occur from phishing incident that happens, right? Mm-hmm. Are you firing everybody that accidentally clicks on a phishing email? <laughs> like, no, you wouldn't be able to afford to run a business that way, nor like people would be scared to work for you. But like I know if I know that's how a company is being managed and they wanted to hire new people, they just got rid of a bunch of people. I would be hesitant to go because if that's how the executive thinks that security is a security person problem, then the second something happens and they click a phishing email, it's not their fault. It's mine. You know, has, and, has anybody been fired because they clicked a phishing email? I, I, I'd really like to <laughs> dive in and figure that out. Right. Cause yeah. to your point, there's no, the individual employee, yes, they go through training, but there's no inherent risk on them. Right. They need mm-hmm. to do their job. They need to be able to operate. They make mistakes. Um, security teams aren't able to make mistakes, right? And so I, I feel like they're the the cannon fodder for a lot of other issues, um, you know, yeah. with, with these type of risks. I was going to say that the last thing is I do know at least one good reason in a story tied to that where I feel like, you know, I can see someone losing their job over it. And that's when like, there's just extreme negligence, right? Mm-hmm. Right, um, right. And there was an instance, I believe it was in the hotel business, but I'm not sure what vertical it really was. But basically there was a security manager, um, his staff brought to him like, hey, we see a domain admin logging into all these workstations at this one region. And, you know, his natural was like, oh, they're probably doing maintenance kind of thing, right? But that that shouldn't be how maintenance should be done. And, you know, if your staff brings it to you and you brushed off, you're kind of assuming that risk without investigating it, right? Yep, absolutely. It, but that's like one head that rolls, not a whole team, right? So mm-hmm. I feel like that those types of instances, especially as you're like further up the chain and you take more responsibility, you're at risk to be kind of put at, on, you know, on point as far as being responsible. But yeah, nothing like this. So yeah, yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's track that story. I mean, you know, follow it what they do in the future um, yeah most but, definitely uh, i think you're up for the next article yeah so this other one is a bleeping computer um article and it's the russian sandworm hackers pose as ukrainian telcos to drop malware so 
this one was really interesting to me because um, it kind of takes me back to you know how, their method of attack. So that's how I like to look at these types of things. Like I understand there's some technical like how they got their malware and how they delivered it and all those types of things, but there's strategies that adversaries use and and Russia in particular and um, this specific attack with us with Sandworm. If if you remember back in 2015 when Russia did the 2015 Ukraine grid attack, mm-hmm. and they were able to get black energy in through phishing emails, they did a similar technique. Um, and that is, you know, a lot of people take advantage of social engineering by using real world real world events, right? Mm-hmm. Like disasters, crisis, you know, taxes happen every year. There's always social engineering driven around that to you know monetize, gain money or access or whatever it's going to be. Right. But this instance and the 2015 instance, Russia actually controlled the real world events and then took mm-hmm. advantage of it. So in 2015, mm-hmm. they sent their phishing email and it was themed based on, you know, growing Russian forces on the Ukrainian border. And they were, they were moving a bunch of troops for a training exercise near the Ukrainian border and other borders because they do a uh, training to deal with how they'll handle Europe in case of a war type thing. Sure. Um, and so they were actively doing something and then we're able to use that to social engineer and gain access for their cyber, you know, fronts. Um, and then in this instance, the same thing, you know, it's all based on the war efforts that were going on to help drive right. um, these sites that, you know, they were set up because, you know, that most of the web pages were themed with the Odessa Regional Military Administration. And um, they're taking advantage of that current situation. So it's, it's very clear, you know, most nation states probably can do this, right? Cause something to happen in the world and then use it to leverage for their cyber front. Um, but I, I thought that was really an intriguing because they obviously understand the relationship between creating physical events in the real world and then leveraging those for cyber game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like it's their MO across the board, right? Um, mm-hmm. It definitely is scary, especially when you're the one, if it's the you're causing the events and then also being able to leverage that from a, right. a phishing campaign. Um, from a hunter's perspective, I mean, I you know, reading through the article, it looks like there's a lot of indicators of compromise that were consistent across the board, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they reused a lot of, of infrastructure. Yeah, outside of that, is it really just looking at that next level, the dropper? Um, you know, from a hunting perspective, um, there's some things you can do for blocks in place if these domains are pretty consistent. But if you you know pass that point further down on the infection chain, like what are you looking for then? Yeah, so it's all those common behaviors that happen after. Because like the infection, like that that whole initial front, you know, you run into like a million and one ways to get in the door. But then once you're in the door, operations are as usual. So like, you know, when you're looking at Sandworm, for instance, you look at some of their past behaviors and some of the things they've done. And that's how you build that, you know, CV of, hey, this is how they operate after they get, you know, past one point one or two, right? Mm-hmm. And those behaviors are usually pretty consistent, like what tools do they use and stuff like that. So yeah, so that's that's always how I'd approach, especially if I'm worried about a specific actor. I focus on like the meat in the middle as far as when you look at the miter techniques and tactics um, that I can kind of cross-reference and look for. So yeah, and it looks like they hard-coded a lot of the like the binary name, basis for encoded data. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious that ISO that gets dropped, that's auto also auto downloaded. Is that something that then, I know probably mounted, but does right. that then kick off the next step, or is there there's some human interaction that needs to happen? My guess is human, but yeah, 
because all the other stuff we've seen with ISO based drops um, and link files, there's that human interaction after being mounted and just kind of running whatever's you know specifically there. But yeah, we definitely hunt for that specific behavior because that's becoming really common. Mm -hmm. No, it's interesting. Yeah, the uh, the different methods of reconnaissance on this one. Um, but again, it kind of just all goes back to that initial, uh, you know, the the their ability to affect the end user, right? And that's yeah. that's where that's where a lot of these these threats are coming from, right? So, um, you want to move on to the next one? Yeah, sure. I'm good with that one. Are you guys? I guess I might have this one, unless you want to okay. kick it off. No, you got it. Go ahead. All right, cool. So, this one is another bleeping computer. Um, and it talks about Microsoft Teams stores auth tokens as clear text in Windows, Linux, and Macs. So, you know, we've seen other people ask about this specific, you know, one in, in multiple forums, um, trying to figure out how to hunt, detect, and deal with this. And for those that aren't aware, you know, it's basically there's some places where there's tokens that can be stripped out of um, files that aren't overly protected once you're on mm -hmm. the system. Um, and it's associated with Microsoft Teams. So really it's poor practice by Microsoft, right? You know, and and I kind of hated their response to it all too, <laughs> yeah. because they're like, hey, we understand this is a problem, but you already have to have access to the system to really take advantage of this. So you kind of already have access. And I yeah, completely I get that. that. What's that? <laughs> so I got some notes on that. Yeah, yeah, but continue yeah. on. So, so yeah, and so, you know, I don't like that because, um, the application should be developed as if it's an isolated secure container anyways. Like that's just good practice. Microsoft's a big name. They should be kind of setting the standard like with other big names out there in my opinion. But I also understand that I'm sure they have bigger issues and they need to manage the resources where things they need to, you know, patch, remediate that either public or not. So I get it, but you know, I just, I feel, I, I hate the response, right? Mm -hmm. But um, and then this one's tough too, because when we're looking at, you know, hunting for this specifically, most tools don't monitor file access because it's too hard to narrow that focus. You, you can't monitor everything because it'd be too verbose and too much data. And, you know, a lot of that wouldn't even be utilized. Um, so you kind of have, they have really defined scopes and some of them monitor some file access, but they're only sensitive files that are already known and very few. And so Teams obviously wasn't on that list. So when you look at a lot of tools, they're not looking at those specific files. But something to know about just the Windows OS in general is you can set up auditing capabilities on read. Um, and it really creates the best visibility for something like this. And as long as you know it's not a file that's overtly read by a ton of different things, um, the volume isn't really that bad. Um, and in this case, it's kind of what we saw as well. So something, if you want to check out some of the ways we hunted for this. So if you go to... Um, cyborgsecurity.com um, and up in the top you can you can click the sign up and it'll ask us how do you hear about us and you can just put podcasts in there it'll give us give you access to our hunter platform and there's a community edition that you get access to and in there if you were to search teams or you were to search the miter technique you know t1552 um, there are two packages there and i'll kind of talk through them briefly but one really focuses on the command line where we're looking at, hey, there's some tools that people utilize um, and some methods that people utilize that when they need to interact with something, it all ends up on the command line and gets logged that way. 
Um, and in this case, we're basically saying any references on the command line that point to these files, the specific files in the hunt package, then you'll be able to see that activity and then go investigate and you know, so forth. The other is more about that auditing. So there's there's notes in there that kind of tell you how to set that up. And obviously it's best to do it via GPO, you know, across your enterprise, but you want to do some testing first. But you basically set up this auditing. And, and when I was messing with it, I saw maybe a hundred or so logs per hour, which mm -hmm. really isn't noisy on a single device. Obviously there's scale and depending on your concern with you know your data collection, stuff like that, something to you know consider. Um, but with that, it was really easy to then say, hey, let's look at anything that's not specifically supposed to be accessing these files. Right. We can find that abnormal there. Um, the one thing that's a little tough is Teams actually doesn't interact with it directly. It uses APIs to interact with the file, so it uses dllhost.exe. Okay. But, so other things that use API interaction, they might be able to kind of skirt around this, but it's good to know those gaps. But that was probably the best visibility as far as auditing those files go and seeing that, so. Um, what would you? What was your takeaway? I mean, just definitely frustrated by the response. Um, <laughs> I mean, basically saying like, if you're, for me again, this and the previous uh, vulnerability that was disclosed that we talked about, uh, I think a few weeks ago. I mean, it's just an amazing tool to be able to uh, infiltrate and understand a, a company's environment, right? I'm going to use this for lateral movement. If, if I know you're an Office 365 user, I can kind of assume you use Teams. Mm -hmm. And so with this kind of access, I mean, as we've seen before, you know, most of the, 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 the malware and the initial access into organizations are by the end user. So if you can affect that end user in any way, you now have access to a host of data, right? Um, especially because Teams is also hooked up to SharePoint depending on the plugins that you have in teams that could also be hooked up to uh, outlook right there's a lot of things that teams connects to so yeah. microsoft response is oh it's if you already have access to the to the box it's not our problem but it i think it absolutely is right because this is a this is a big leverage point and i think it will be I, I hope it isn't but i think in the future it will be leveraged quite a bit yeah once someone makes it a big enough problem then it kind of it turns out that way, right? So it depends mm. on how people want or if they use it. And it, it you know, from a programmatic standpoint, um, storing these things in clear text on the box, I mean, it, it's it it just seems like it it should have been, I guess, addressed through the development cycle. Right. Um, and again, you know, app dev security. You know, there's a, we could probably have a whole podcast on that, but. Um, just to say that if you already have access to the box, it doesn't matter. I mean, I don't know. I think they're taking yeah. the uh, the short the uh, you know the the short path out of this. And from a retooling perspective, the patch wouldn't be easy, right? This is this is they would have to do a lot to encrypt the cookies in the local storage, um, figure out a way that they can read that data from the programmatic perspective on the API. You know, put in session storage, and you know, there's a lot that they would have to do to fix this problem, and it's probably just not in their their roadmap. So, yeah, imagine with all the interoperability, that makes that problem really hard to solve. Yeah, exactly. So, um, glad we were able to, you know, build a hunt for it. I, I love the idea of looking at that anomaly detection. Um, I would imagine this would any type of general detection would cause a lot a lot of false positives. Um, so yeah, 
I think that's when you really have to get into the more advanced hunting and understand how to approach the problem from a from a different kind of viewpoint. So yeah. Yep. So you want to take up this last one? Yep. Um, so the last one is uh, also from Hacker News. Um, it looks like hackers are actively exploiting a new Sophos vulnerability. Um, the CVSS score of nine point eight. So very impactful. Um, it looks like it impacts everything from a version 19 MR1 and older. So, uh, you know, from an engineering and infrastructure perspective, um, you know, there, there probably would be some downtime. I don't know how their firewalls are, are provisioned, but it seems like it's something that, you know, needs to be taken care of because it right. looks like it gives you just, you know, full access based on the, the, the internet exposed user portal and web admin admin components. So um, it looks like uh, our friends over at Velexity originally found the problem, but um, you know, primarily in the South Asia region, I don't know if that's just akin to that region using Sophos compared to, I know a lot of, you know, US organizations, at least in my experience, you know, Palo Alto, Juniper are the tools of choice. So um, any, you got any uh, comments on this one? Yeah, so it's one of those things where when I see these types of articles and the and you know they they seem loose on detail and I try to figure out how I can pick out details that are important. Yeah. Um. So I I always when I see vulnerabilities, especially, I like to think how would an attacker want to use this, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the the things when it comes to this type of vulnerability in a firewall and it's remote code execution is it's likely if if I had to guess an initial attack vector, right? Can I get access into something or be able to create access or a way for me to get access or um, an upgraded attack? Well, I call it upgraded attack because you're kind of already have presence in an environment, but you need to be able to do something to upgrade your attack to make it more effective or, you know, you know, whatever you need to do there. So, so I feel like these types of attacks, especially with this, it's more external and something else it kind of takes me there too is the whole article talked about how they've seen these attacks right you know happening in this entire region well it's like when you say they've seen these attacks i'm pretty sure it's not every organization that's getting attacked reporting that because i know just how right. poorly companies share information especially right. if they are successfully attacked and someone's inside that information doesn't like people are really cool about being like hey we saw this attack but we stopped it like they want bragging rights mm -hmm. um but so based on how information is being shared, you know that someone saw this on, you know, the internet and they saw where the, the attacks were going um, and where they're destined for. So that lets me know that this is primarily being used, at least from this article, as a way externally trying to get something internally, right? And then, you know, Absolutely. that leads to, well, how do we deal with this? Well, it looks like, you know, there's a user portal and a web admin components that they're kind of exposed. Well, how do you not expose those to the internet? You know, I don't know if some of those tooling, you know, you're needed to do some sort of VPN type access and things like that. Maybe right. so it's a much harder problem to solve. But you know, if not, at least you know that hey, there's configurations you can do to kind of protect, buy more time, those types of things. Absolutely, um, yeah, actually patching it. Yeah, I mean, I just at least from my experience, you could probably disable the user portal and still have the VPN available. And then the web admin components, you might be able to, to you know, uh, 
you know, segregate that to a specific network um, or, uh, you know, IP address, right, of a particular right. admin. Um, would, a, would a tool like Shodan, so again, Shodan's publicly accessible. I know there's a paid version, but if you can uh, fingerprint the Sophos firewalls, right, and then see particular network traffic or, you know, is there a way that without having real visibility, so I know Alexi said they, they've seen the attacks happen um, and, you know, the South Asia region doesn't have a well-defined reporting mechanism. Is there another way that you can kind of track this, you know, either for yourself or just for gathering data? Yeah, I mean, most of the times, a lot of the companies that are able to produce good reporting on this, they're the ones with like those just internet sensors and work close mm -hmm. with ISPs and things like that. Right. And they're probably running some sort of, you know, IDS signature that, you know, can detect what the at the vulnerability discovery looks like. Sure. Um, but yeah, for for following, you know, this, the one, what I really wanted to see, and this is how I know that it was picked up by one of those companies that can have that, you know, breadth of visibility, visibility was right yeah it was well what was when it you know good you saw people trying to exploit this but what like what was the package or payload they were delivering or what did they do with the exploit you know and we don't have those answers because likely companies that were hit by it either don't have those answers yet or they weren't the ones sharing this information but that's mm -hmm. always what's more important to me because you know a vulnerability just means you can do something but what's the most common activity being done that helps me defend better because with the vulnerability, the protections, you know, put mitigations or patch, right? Right. So, yeah, I think that's what's important about our process internally for supporting, you know, some of these hot button CVEs. Like we always try to get a proof of concept right. and actually see what the next steps are and what you actually get access to and the pivot points and, you know, how actors in the real world would would potentially utilize that that type of exploit right because there's to your point there's one thing in just getting in but now what do you do what do you actually have access to like what can you pivot mm -hmm. what can you learn about the system so um i know internally we always try to have that mindset and methodology if we're going to support something like this so and it'd be good even if an organization isn't effective but to understand how they could have been i think is also important right so patch it but also understand what your your risk factors were right. and what actually they had access to. So great. Cool. I think that's the last article. Yeah. So thanks everyone for joining for the top five threat hunting headlines for the Out of the Woods podcast. Um, enjoyed talking with Mike Mitchell today and having those discussions and hope to see all of you again soon. Take care.